You're listening to the Flying Irishman podcast with me, Jarlath Regan, episode three, with the man behind Dubai Duty Free. On the outside, it might appear to be a behemoth of retail that sponsors sporting events across the world that's been around as long as air traffic itself. But all of these things that we now regard as institutions have to start somewhere. In the case of Dubai Duty Free, it starts in 1983 with a young Irish man from Balnasloe who originally intended to be a dentist of all things. That man is Colin McLaughlin, and after a brief stint in Shannon Airport, he took up the invitation of the Dubai government to help create and launch their duty-free operation at Dubai International Airport. The extraordinary growth and success of this aviation story is what I wanted to get to the bottom of in this conversation. In 2019, Colin McLaughlin received the award for outstanding contribution to aviation at the annual Aviation Awards in Dublin. And it's easy to understand why after you listen to this chat. Today, at the tender age of 79, he continues to manage and oversee every aspect of this multi-billion dollar business and shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, your your own life changed so dramatically when I read that your intended career was dentistry. How long did you <laughs> pursue that one? And uh, I mean, this is a it's a pretty dramatic leap from dentistry to duty free. What happened, Charlotte? I went to London in the summer of 1961, and I went like many Irish people at that time. I went for, just for the summer to do a summer job. And I did a variety of different jobs. I worked in a canning factory. I worked, I picked hops. I I was a bus conductor. And and eventually at the end of the summer, I really had not saved any money, which was the purpose in going there. I called my dad and I explained to him that I was going to stay in London a while longer. And I discarded all ideas of going back to Ireland to university. (laughs) And in 1962, I joined Woolworths. And I joined as a training manager and I eventually became a manager of Woolworths. And as I said to somebody yesterday, I'm looking back, I'm much more satisfied that I swept the floor in Woolworths rather than trying to go through the business of extracting teeth. <laughs> I mean, uh, for a lot of people, the, the one is as bad as the other. Uh, the <laughs> Woolworths chain uh, was a beast of the high street in the UK and you oh, yeah it's terrific yeah you you became one of and I became a manager of Woolworths and I was visiting Ireland on holiday and and I saw a job advertised in the duty-free business I did not understand what it meant because I was at home in Ireland and I wanted to get the green flag out of my head and I was offered a job at Shannon Airport so I actually went to Shannon Airport in the duty-free business in 1969. 69. I mean, oh, I'd imagine. I don't, sorry, I celebrated my 50th year in the business last year. I mean, that's astonishing. And I'd imagine the change that you've seen between then and now is absurd. Uh, describe to us what duty free looked like in 69. In 69, it was a very small operation. There were about 60 staff. Sales would have been, you know, like 500,000 pounds a year or something like that. 
and the uh, I was 14 years at Shannon Airport, and during that time it had grown a little bit, but only to a couple of million pounds a year. And and I don't know if if you remember the story that the, the airport in Dubai and Airinta in Ireland did a contract hmm. to send a team of people to Dubai to set up a duty free for them. I was one of a team of 10 people and I came to Dubai for six months in uh, September 1983. And we walked away and we opened the duty free on the 20th of December 1983. The air contract was finishing the following April. I was asked during that time if I would stay and operate the duty free here. I agreed to do so. I retired from from um, Shannon, and I signed a contract here for a two year term to run the duty free, and that's thirty seven years ago. I mean, and that's astonishing stuff, Colm. I mean, like I'm sure you're tired telling the story. But for a lot of our listeners, this is all brand new to them. I mean, we take duty-free for granted. It's just there. You just accept it as part of life. And you don't realize that this all began very small. And as a concept... Sorry, yeah. It started in Shannon in 1947. Dr. Brendan O'Regan was the founder of it. Um, And... It was, as you say, very small, but worldwide, the duty-free business has grown. And in 2019, it was 76 billion U.S. dollars. That's wow. going to be only about 30 billion this year. Um, but it has grown considerably. And I remember the time at Shannon, people came from, Schiphol Airport in, in Amsterdam to see what it was all about because they were one of the early people in the airport duty-free business as well. And and at that time, the Irish government were fantastic with the support and the approval and everything like that that was given to it. Yeah. So that's 50 years ago. I left, well, <laughs> I well, left there 37 years ago. Well, that's the, the you know, that's the facts and figures, Colin. That's the, that's the, the nuts and bolts of this thing. But I'd like to talk about who you were in all of this. I mean, this doesn't happen by accident. You need a tremendous amount of drive and ambition to take anything that small and grow it to the scale that you have. Can you remember that column at Lachlan who started in Shannon and maybe where the vision came from that obviously in your head, you had an idea of what this could be? Well, yeah, I was kind of following following the procedure at Shannon, and it was chipping away. And the general manager at that time was a man called Bill Maloney, and who's retired many years and lives in Limerick and has become a good friend of mine. And um, it was operated at Shannon Airport by a company called Sales and Catering. Sales and Catering eventually became part of Arinta, and and. Whatever I had learned at Shannon and the team that were with me, we were expected to implement that in Dubai because it was brand new in Dubai. 
And the attitude in Dubai was, and still is, that everything can be the best. And at that time in Dubai, Jarlath, the population was about 200,000 people. It is now three and a half million. At that time in Dubai, the traffic through Dubai airport was 3 million passengers a year. Like I said, it was 89 million last year. And our sales in our first year in Dubai were 20 million US dollars. And it had jumped forward to, as I said earlier, last year was over 2 billion US dollars. Like I said earlier, we've always get put, in, put great emphasis on, on the staff and on the team we had. And until a couple of months ago, we still had 25 of our original staff working for us. Amazing. And I was always very happy to boast about that. Pretty time of our pioneers. And, but because of the present COVID situation, they've all now retired and are some living in Dubai, some gone back home. Um, and there's a couple of things measured in the duty free industry that are very important to its success. One, of course, is the number of the traffic you send something to and the extent of the sale to each person. And yeah. we found in Dubai because of our marketing and promotion and sponsorship and all that sort of stuff, and that that has increased every year. And uh, what was you know, two or three dollars a head and currently is running at about $55 a head to people we sell to. And that's a big measurement in the industry. Yeah. So to say during that time, it has grown up. So that, yeah. So that's, that's the big change, right? That what people are willing to spend and uh, certainly pre all of this were heading to duty free in their mind's eye as to what's a reasonable amount to walk away with here just changed dramatically. And you obviously employed strategists and researchers to uh, understand how you could pivot the thinking of the consumer from merely thinking, I will pick up some cigarettes or some, uh, some form of travel gift to a higher end purchase that they would only make in this setting. Do you remember those meetings, those initial meetings? And maybe how were you at all skeptical of some of the research and the things that they were presenting you with? Uh, no, I was very positive that it would work. And I was very positive that other products would sell. And, and nowadays in the duty-free industry around the world, like 50 years ago, alcohol and tobacco were the biggest sellers. Nowadays that has changed and um, in, in most duty freezes around the world, perfumes, cosmetics are, are the biggest individual category and are bigger in fact than alcohol or tobacco. Mm. Um, but each of the duty frees everywhere just extended. Um, I remember in the early days a big thing at Shannon Airport was selling water crystal and it was very popular. Um, but if you jump forward to Dubai Duty Free, um, we have a, a large range of products. We have perfumes, cosmetics, we have foods, we have confectionery, we have fashion. We have, of course, alcohol, and we have tobacco, and they're still very good sellers. 
And as I say, around the world, all of these things added up to 76 billion US dollars last year. It is hard to, to wrap things. Which was yeah. We did other things, Giles, which were great fun. Um, we own a tennis tournament. We sponsor sporting things. We have been the title sponsor of the Dubai Jewish Irish Derby. We've been going to the Cairo for 20 years. Mm. Until this year, we didn't go because it was behind closed doors. Of course. We have been the title sponsor of the Dubai Jewish Irish Irish Open Golf for the past five years. It is one of the Rolex series on the European tour. And we own a hotel. And something I'm very, very happy about is we also own an Irish pub called the Irish Village. Except in Dubai, we now have two Irish villages, which are staffed very much by Irish staff, and which are designed like a little street in Ireland. And one of our Irish villages, for example, has a street along the front. It has a pretend post office, which happens to be called the Ballinus Low Post Office. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, that connection to Ireland is obviously really, really important to you personally. And I guess it's, it, it connects, doesn't it? It connects with, with people. The image of the country and that uh, uh, perception of hospitality and welcome, uh, coziness and home. Uh, regardless of where you are in the world, is what you're selling there and what you're you're constructing. Um, my question is, when you've clearly got that fondness for it, did you ever at any point think I, I could come back home here? That this this mightn't be forever here in Dubai for me? Uh, no, I was. I'm always. I've always been very comfortable in Dubai. Um, I have been very, very happy how our business has continued to grow. Um, I've been very, very happy with the development and success of our Irish villages, for example. Mm. And we have 40 Irish staff working in our Irish villages. We have three of us working in Dubai Duty Free. I was never uncomfortable here. And the attitude here always suited me because from day one, it was very, very positive. Yeah. Happening. And, and everything in Dubai has grown considerably. Um, positivity is something that I think, you know, sometimes is frowned upon in Ireland, that, you know, a fella who's too positive can be seen as naive. That optimism and that positivity of attitude is something that I believe an awful lot of our guests have talked about in America that made them feel refreshed and revived and believe that, the possibilities were endless for them when they arrived because it was such a reprieve from the belief that, look, we can only pitch to a certain level. Don't get above your station is the phrase uh, that comes to mind. Um, I didn't know that that was such a big part of Dubai. Uh, where does that emanate from and what's the belief there? It comes from the government, Jonathan, and it comes very much from the ruler of Dubai. He signed Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al Maktoum, who's been the ruler for a number of years. And, you know, the, the, the catchphrase is nothing is impossible. And it has been proven with so many things, with Dubai Duty Free, for example, with Emirates Airlines, which was born in 1985 and um, is now one of the largest airport airlines in the world. 
it has been proven that the development of tourism into Dubai, you know, 15 billion visitors came to Dubai last year on holiday as tourists. Um, the hotel business has grown up considerably. Dubai Duty Free own a hotel. It's a 292-bedroom, five-star hotel, which we built. And it's just the whole attitude of, of things will happen and things, if you make them happen, become possible. Mm. And if you take our Dubai Duty Irish finish, where that came from, we started a little tennis tournament um, through the ATP, which is the Association of Tennis Professionals. Mm. It was very small. We started it 28 years ago, 29 years ago. And because we started that, we ended up right today. We have built our own tennis stadium. We have around that tennis stadium put our Irish village in the same size. We have built our hotel and we have opened a second Irish village somewhere else. And it just keeps gathering pace. And that happens not just with Dubai Duty Free, it happens with things everywhere. And uh, the worth to Dubai of our tennis tournament, for example, Roger Federer won his, won his 100th title in Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship two years ago. The media value to Dubai from that has been assessed as being worth 1.2 billion US dollars. And that, of course, is repeated in many, many other things around. And all the events we do. Our, our sponsorship of the Divine Duty of the Irish Derby and our sponsorship by Duty Free and Irish Open God was valued last year. If we were to buy that media coverage for Dubai, it was valued last year at about 80 million euro. It, so it's great fun. And it's <laughs> also very hard to wrap your head around those figures, is it not? I mean, those, those numbers are stratospheric. They, they kind, they kind of, I can't, I can't fathom what that kind of income and revenue looks like, means, or enables you to do. With it today, the buzzword and the phrase that keeps going around in relation to high-earning companies like that is social responsibility, both environmental and to the individual uh, in, in the countries in which they exist. What steps have uh, you made with the company and how important is that to you personally when you hear that? It is a big consideration for us. Um, in 2004, we founded what we now know as the Divide Duty Free Foundation. We uh, are my Chairman, His Highness Sheikh Ahmed bin Saeed Al Maktoum, is in charge of the airport, in charge of Emirates Airlines, in charge of the chairman of Dubai Duty Free, is the patron of this foundation. We transfer a certain percentage of our revenue every year into that fund, and we have supported 92 charities around the world. We pay the salary of five teachers in the Dubai Autism School every month. We have about 40 children in full-time education. 
We support schools for special needs children. And we have been awarded many times for that sort of attitude. Mm. We have, for example, children with the Christina Noble Foundation. We have 20 children in full-time education through her and her, her society. But we have several other things as well. We rebuilt a village in Sri Lanka that was wiped out by a tsunami some years ago. The medical center there is called the Dubai Duty Free Clinic in, in this village. Mm-hmm. And we have done many, many things. We have uh, supported Smile Train over the years. We have, last year, we're responsible for 4,000 cleft palate operations in the Philippines because we support two clinics there. And we continue to do that. And it is with the blessing of the ruler here. Mm. So it's part of our responsibility and we fulfill it as well as we can. Yeah. Well, I guess. And then surrounding all that, surrounding all that stuff, the, because of our progress in Dubai duty free, we have Dubai duty free have won 700 credit awards from various organizations around the world. There's a thing in the duty-free industry called the Frontier Marketing Awards, which is a, a voted thing and judged by a, um, a panel of adjudicators. It's called the Frontier Marketing Awards. And Dubai Duty Free uh, won Frontier Awards on 15 different occasions, which says we're the best in the world. So all these things are terrific to sit and listen and think about. Yeah, I mean, and also there's the... There's, there's a question of how long is a piece of string. I'd imagine that you get a certain amount of pressure to do more, even though everything you've listed there is, uh, is fabulous and astonishing. The, the, you know, the length and breadth and scope in which you can give back through Dubai Duty Free is, is epic proportions. But still you'll con- come under pressure from people saying, that's not enough. I mean, you can be doing more. Uh, have you? Uh, we can certainly, yeah. We get we get innumerable requests, hmm. various things, and of course we cannot do everything. But um, we assess them. We have a board in place, and we meet frequently. And we look at the at the requests and see what we should do and what we should help out with. You, you have an aptitude, though, Colin, for managing investment and money that begins. Back when you were 12, making pocket money, sewing lettuce and selling them to the local shop. <laughs> you read that, Chamber. <laughs> yeah, we do our research. But I, when, I, when I read that, I, I, I was like that, the, like, that was at a time in Ireland where there just wasn't money. And you, you managed to basically grow this business out of nothing to the point where you could buy your 11 pound bicycle. <laughs> from packing large shop. <laughs> yeah, the eleven pound bicycle my father had, and we we cut some turf. I saved it, and then he sold it. My dad sold it for me, a truckload of turf, and we got twelve pounds. I remember that quite clearly. The end. I don't think in any way that I'm a genius at any of this stuff. We have a fantastic team in Dubai doing great. And 
they have, have the same sort of attitude. We have been, to, been together many, many years. And they're, they're all well geared to attach something and see if it works. Hmm. The, um, you know, as I said earlier, we have been sponsoring the Divide Your Irish Open Golf for the past five years. It was held in La Hinch last year. And we had 80,000 spectators come to La Hinch. It was 20,000 spectators every day. And which, if you know La Hinch, it's a huge, huge, huge thing for that thing. But we assess it and make sure that it pays dividends to divide duty three from the point of media coverage, et cetera. Yeah, well, I guess what I, what I was like getting I at was that you've been given many, many awards and it's only because of Dubai Duty Free and it's only because of the team of people that are there. I remember receiving the Presidential Distinguished Service Award from President O'Higgins a couple of years ago. And it's lovely and I'm absolutely thrilled, but it is because of the Dubai Duty Free story. Well, one of your other talents is clearly deferring uh, appreciation for what you've done and humility, because at the end of the day, column, you are the negotiator in a lot of these biggest deals that you're uh, pushing over the line and driving that company. And I understand that there's a team involved. And the reason why I bring up the, you know, the early childhood is not to be cute or clever or to show off what research we've done. It's just because it spoke to me about something that I heard from another CEO that we had on the show about the importance and the significance of knowing what it is to have no money to that. You, he said, you can't teach poor and that it taught him and brought him to an appreciation for the smallest parts of these things and every every bit of the growth and build is appreciated as a result of that. Do you find there's any truth in that for yourself? I find a lot of truth in that. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, you, you've got to recognize a lot of what we do is just milk and we've got to recognize that um, the help and support of all the team of people I think that's very important. Hmm. The, um, you know, I said earlier on that we have a couple of Irish people working in the duty free and our chief financial controller is from Cork, Bernard Creed, and our marketing manager, senior vice president is from Dublin, Sinead El Sabai, and, and has been Whilst very often I get the credit for it, has been at the head of all the stuff like um, Bernard Creed with our foundation, Sinead El Shabai with our sponsorship. Um, and she takes great pride, and rightly so, when she walks into the Cora being from Dublin and she's just from up the road. And, <laughs> and, and recently she represented Divine Free at Divine Free Irish Open at golf course near Ballymena, although it was a reduced version this year, which was slipped in there because the Ryder Cup was cancelled. And then it was our title, although it was not a Rolex series event this year, which it would have been in May, but it was cancelled from that time. And I'm very pleased, Jarlath, about the success of I do agree, but I don't want to pretend it's my genius or anything. Sure, I sure. It's not so very 
very lucky to have been involved in. Well, let me ask you this then, because part of you know the fascination with you and what you've achieved and the reason why we're so happy to have you on the show is both the achievement, but also just witnessing the change. I mean, here I am living in London right now in the midst of, and well, I moved here in 2013. And if someone had told me that Donald Trump will be president, the Britain will leave the EU and there'll be a global pandemic before 2020 is over, I would have given, I would have taken any bet on any of those things just not happening, not possible. Where do you, where do you stand in terms of those changes that you, you've seen? Wh- which ones did you see coming? Like Brexit had to be something that I've heard you say before that, you know, if they'd, if they'd voted again on it, it wouldn't have happened. Was it, was it like Trump, an anomaly that just occurred in the moment because the timing was right? Or as an observer of people and an understander of consumers and people, what's your view on those two things and their connection? I'm very surprised with Brexit, and I'm not sure if it's the correct thing. I think if it was, if it was voted on again, it might be a different result. I thought the whole European Union thing was very positive. Um, I lived in London, as I told you earlier, for eight years or seven years or whenever it was. Um, and I'm rambling. Now, but I remember when I was working in Woolworths in Oxford Street, when I started in Woolworths, and I was in the stockroom there. My wallet was stolen one evening, and I had no money. And so I bought a second hand bicycle from a policeman, and I cycled to work every day from Acton to Oxford Street and cycled home every evening. Jeepers. Um, for, for those that don't I, know, that is, that is a long haul of a cycle. Yeah, that was seven miles, I think it was. And, and it made me realize once I uh, had saved a few dirhams to be able to, a few, dollar, a few pounds to be able to do that, how lucky I was. And um, I like repeating the story. And then, um, and six years later, I still cycle the bicycle. <laughs> I might need to go for a spin. <laughs> Sorry, Jared, I rambled away from my trance. No, no, I mean, it does. Brexit surprised me, and it's going to happen, of course. Um, the election of Donald Trump surprised me. I'm not so sure what's going to happen on the next one. Had you, had you um, ever met the man before, before he was elected? Um, no, I had not met him, no. Um, although he'd been to Dubai and I had, had met some of the American presidents when they were here. And um, when we first came to Dubai, if you played golf, we played on sand. You understand why I'm going into this ramble in a moment. Um, you played on sand and you hit the ball onto the sand green. Um, and there was a sign on there saying, please brush the sand. <laughs> So it wasn't really a period to do it, Mark. You had a yard brush, you turned it upside down, and you walked in ever-increasing circles to wipe out your footprints from the, from the brown. It's called 
What? Oh my right. God. So it's, a per, it's basically a bunker of a course. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Nowadays, there are 10 um, world-class golf courses in Dubai. The Dubai Desert Classic is held here and has been held for 30 years. The race to Dubai is after the European Tour finish. It is held here. Many of the world champion golfers visit Dubai and play Dubai. And the reason I went into that ramble, Jonathan, is that one of the golf courses in Dubai is called the Trump International. Mm. It's a development company in Dubai who did a partnership with Donald Trump. And there's a fantastic 18-year-old golf course, which is called the Trump International Golf Course. So my only connection with Donald Trump is that I played on that golf course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's, it, what that, what's interesting there and kind of segues nicely into is that you know, some people wouldn't play that golf course on principle, uh, uh, disagreeing with his choices politically. Do, where do you stand on that separation of business and politics or ideology and the individuals involved? Well, I think each individual is entitled to his own view and his own action and what he wants to take. Um, and there are and many, many people in America that support Donald Trump, as, as his last election proved. And we're not so sure about the present one that's coming along. Things have changed a lot. But, you know, still half the population in America seem to support Donald Trump. Mm. The, um, you know, we're not in a position to judge, I don't think. The best candidate is or who it should be. Uh, Every day we look at things and read things, we learn more about it, you know? Yeah. I know that before you mentioned that uh, for you personally, uh, technology, your interaction with technology would be limited to quite an elderly phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you still that way or has, has, has someone, because I know you, your, your kids surely have tried to say, Dad, you've got to get yourself an iPad or certainly COVID-19 has kind of put, shoved us all forward. Here we are conducting this podcast via Zoom. Uh, where are you at the moment? Because I understand that Dubai Duty Free is you know, probably one of the most technologically advanced companies, retail companies in the world. What about you, though? <laughs> Our company has to be advanced and you know, we sold 70 million items of merchandise last year. We did 27 million transactions on our registers last year. So we have to be top grade in technology. Mm. I have an iPhone, but I only use it when I travel. I do not use it on a day-to-day basis. I personally use an old Samsung, like the very small first mobiles that were, that came out. I tried to update the date, upgrade the date on it recently, and it wouldn't pass 1999. Oh, wow. um, but I can make calls and receive calls on it. That's all that matters. Um, that's all that matters. And, but our company is very high in tech. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to be to manage a, um, a business of that extent. The, um, so I have no objection whatsoever to upgrading things in the work and making sure we're top of the range. Um, but I only use my own iPhone when I travel away and I keep up to date with emails and stuff. 
And also the other one I use is very easy to carry in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a lot smaller back then, that's for sure. Um, let me ask you this question, Colin. I'm interested to get this uh, answer from all of our guests in the aviation series because the aviation series for Irishman Abroad comes about when I guess I kind of realize exactly how much the Irish dominate the uh, the airways and this this quarter of the world. What do you attribute that dominance to? Why is it that Irish people, this little island off the coast of Europe, uh, the people that it produces seem to take so well to this industry in particular? But I think, um, you know, I think the fact that the first stopping up pile from flights from America, for example, was the west coast of Ireland. I think it created an atmosphere where um, people followed the history, followed the, the birth of the whole thing and, and studied it and learned it. And many Irish people, as you rightly say, have been involved in aviation. And I think the visits to Shannon Airport in the early days of very prominent Americans, presidents, VIPs around the world. I think Shannon's service to private aircraft was very good. Um, and I would never, ever doubt the kind of, I'm going to use a funny word, the cop on of Irish people in getting into a growing industry. And I think that's why it happened. The starting of duty-free business at Shannon Airport was a unique thing in those days and has been copied, if you like, around the world and has grown hugely around the world. The, um, I've certainly enjoyed my hundred years in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you joke about it, but, you know, you are well past retirement age at this point, Colin. Why, why is it? Who told you that, Charlie? <laughs> 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 a crazy rumor that's doing the rounds. But you, no, no sign of stopping, no sign of slowing down. What do you attribute that to? Maybe, maybe that's, that's an even bigger question because to anyone, regardless of what their interest is in aviation, we all want to know how to sustain our life and continue to thrive the way you have. I have enjoyed my work so much that I have never, ever been thinking, oh, so many years I will retire. And you're quite correct. I am well over retirement age. Um, and, you know, whenever I do think of retiring, what do you do? You write books, you play golf, you travel. I travel as much as I want to, except this year, of course, I haven't. Mm. I play golf as much as I want to. I, you know, cycle my bike as much as I want to. I go to all the things I need to go to. And I'm very, very comfortable and happy living in Dubai. My wife, Breed, is with me. Our son lives in Dubai. And, and oddly enough, he, he the company that developed, it's a real estate development company that included the Trump International Golf Course. He's the senior vice president of that company. <laughs> and he and I playing out frequently together. And um, I've never had a big yearning to, to, to retire and stop work. I find it, uh, I find it almost, I don't want to sound wrong, but I find it almost as a hobby. You know, it's lovely being able to work all the time. 
But you're quite right, I'm well past the normal retirement age. So is the key then to find a job that you truly love, as they say, and you'll never work another day? I think that's correct. And some of us are very lucky to find one that has been so successful. I think in, in my career, coming to Dubai was fantastic for me. And, and I've got awards and recognitions that I think otherwise I would never have got. And for whatever reason, and I was selected by the Middlesex University a couple of years ago and received an honorary doctorate. And, but again, I attribute that to the success of our company, the effort of all our staff, and sure, uh, I'm sure to the captain of it, but I enjoy it very much. Well, I guess to finish off, uh, I guess I wanted to ask this question about the people that you've encountered over the years, because you have interacted with some of the best known, uh, most celebrated historical figures ever to have lived in some cases. When you come across great people, what is the through line or thread that you identify as them having in common? I, I think um, humility. Um, so many VIP people we have met in our journey have been very ordinary people, have been very modest people. Uh, they're not a pain in the neck listening to. Um, they recognize the talent of other people and um, where possible, they attribute praise to the other people. And um, I find that as a general trend going through very, very many people I've met, John. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Colm. And I really do appreciate you squeezing us in and finding the time for this. And uh, I wish you the very best luck during this difficult time. Uh, stay safe and stay well. And thank you again, Colm. And Charlie, if you ever visit Dubai, please let us know you're coming. We'd love to look after you. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Okay, Charlie, the best of luck. Thanks all of us. Bye-bye. How about that? That's the Colin McLaughlin episode of The Flying Irishman. If you're enjoying this series, why not recommend it to some people or give us a rating and a subscription over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now. I mean, Colm's business is all about the enjoyment of your time in the airport, a mammoth job that you think there couldn't be, there couldn't be something bigger, there couldn't be a bigger task in the aviation business. Well, my guest in the next episode, Eamon Brennan, has probably a bigger task than even Colm McLaughlin. He is, of course, the Director General of Eurocontrol based in Brussels in Belgium. He's responsible for handling over 11 million flights yearly. I can't wait for you to hear that conversation. It's in the next episode of The Flying Irishman. Subscribe to and leave a review of The Flying Irishman on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Music on this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. Sound production, editing and research by Jarlath Regan. Special thanks to Declan Ryan and Ellen James. Flying Irishman is an Irishman Abroad podcast. <laughs>